Growth is not a goal. It can never be a goal. Growth happens because of action, which is why when you talk to people about, well, I want to grow. Well, great. Well, what actions are we taking to grow? Have we read the two books? Have we taken notes? What did you learn from it? Are the habits and the behaviors on par with the kind of professional you want to become? And so it's great people want to grow. I want my marriage to get better. Well, it's not going to get better unless we act differently. Are you ready to step up your game? Do you want to form the habits required to take your hustle to the next level? You're in the right place. We've been where you are and know that getting to your optimized next level doesn't happen by accident. Welcome to the Next Level Hustle podcast. Each week, we sit down with experts, entrepreneurs, and people at the top of their game to help you discover how to accelerate what you've already been doing with excellence and speed to find success and fulfillment in every area of your life. I'm your host, Boomer Allred. And I'm also your host, John Wiesenhan. This is going to be Next Level. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Next Level Hustle podcast. I'm your co-host, John. And I'm your co-host, Boomer. And just want to remind you, we are up on all socials. We are on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook. We drop every Monday so you can have your Next Level Hustle all week long. So we want to welcome our guest, John Eads. Now, John, the co-host, how do you know John Eads? Man, John is, goes way back. So John Eads and I, we went to high school together at Charlotte Catholic here in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. We've known each other for a long time, went through a little bit of a pause after, uh, after high school. Up until about three years ago or so, John uh, helped us, was really influential in helping us start the company that we're running today with the sales, really the sales training, sales pipeline development train the sales staff, and he's been instrumental to helping the company grow to where it is today uh, since we started, you know, a little over two years ago. So uh, he still comes in the office, still helps the team, and uh, he's an amazing, amazing human that really just makes sure people get what they need when it comes to sales training, personal development, and it's, it's a real asset to have around. Well, I look forward to getting to know you, John. Welcome. Thanks, Beaver. I'm excited to be here. So what are some of the tools that you look for in creating a powerful team? Maybe even something that helps you filter out the bad apples or those that might spoil the batch? We look at things slightly different than most, which is every organization wants to grow. I don't know one organization in the world doesn't want to grow or make more money or have more customers. They want to grow. And we we tend to look at the strategy or the execution of growth But the reality is real growth comes from people. And then when people grow, it grows their capacity to produce more or to make more outbound calls or to have more confidence in themselves that they can do and they can achieve. And if the CEO is the only person growing, it is the shortest route to a failing business. The quickest route, almost every time, because one person can't do it all. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And John doesn't need to hear this today, but John is one of the exceptional visionary leaders, which is a critical uh, skill for any executive leader to have. It's one of the best I've ever seen. He just believes in something before it happens. He manifests it well before it happens. And all belief is transferred. 
That's the only way belief is trans. It's transferred. If you have kids at home, you're transferring belief to them on an ongoing basis, whether you know it or not. And all that belief that is transferred comes from a source. That source comes typically from the things that you consume. So what you consume could be the people you surround yourself with. We're sitting around a, a, a podcast studio with the three of us, we're surrounding each other with things that we're consuming that will ultimately change our beliefs. A belief then becomes your behavior. That behavior becomes your habits, and those habits become your results. So how this all works together is that an organization needs people that is growing, because that's the ceiling. The people grow. The business doesn't grow by itself. And they need to be transferred belief to them by a source, and that tends to be leaders. John, that's fantastic. One thing that I've always struggled with as an executive leader in the companies that I've operated is when to hire people, hmm. right? And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you can hire people today for a need you think you might have in the future, and you want to make sure you bring them in and develop them so they're ready to hit the ground running when the true business need exists. Mm -hmm. And then there's, I'm going to wait till I need it, but then it's too late, right? It's so, you know, that's something that I always struggle with in my own head. It's, hey, we don't really need this guy now, but I think we're going to need it, right? Because I can see the vision or I can see where the company is going, you know, what's your opinion on that from a, you know, when to hire the next guy? Because some of our listeners are single shop owners or entrepreneurs, or they have one or two or three employees. So adding another head. It's a big it, deal. It, well, it's a big deal and it hits the pocketbook pretty hard, right? Uh, I think this answer is probably the easiest. And that is when you look at people as a mechanism versus an asset. When you're thinking of people as an asset, that they're going to be with you for a long time that you're, you're going to invest in them, that you're taking the long-term view versus the immediate need I have right this moment, which is really important for any entrepreneur from a cash flow perspective. we got to be looking short but thinking long, which makes it hard. But if you have the mindset as a leader to look at people as an asset, not just a mechanism to get work done, and this is going to be a real tangible example, but if you think of the way work started in America and the assembly line, and like we had to have people on that line at a certain time to get work done. It's the only way something came off successfully. To get widgets created. Exactly. It, today's, today's workplace is much different. There are certainly assembly lines that still exist, but the technology that's coming into any manufacturing line is astounding. I mean, just the human aspect is just right. not needed like it used to be. So what I believe the only thing left is not what, I mean, look at AI and it's unbelievable what's coming. What humans still have the capacity to do is to create human magic. And I use that analogy with your people and when to hire, because if you're looking at your people as hey, I'm a, this is a mechanism, this place is open eight to five. This is when we pack. This is when we shift. This is when we do X, Y, Z. You're most likely going to get people that show up like that on a daily basis, not to make magic happen, not to go above and beyond and become a better version of themselves or learn a new skill without you telling them to do it. And so it's a, a roundabout way to say, it depends on how you look at people as a mechanism, just so you don't have to do it, or as an asset to help grow your business long-term. And if you get to the center of that, hey, this person is an asset long-term, and we're going to teach them skills in the short-term to help us, great. If it's just to fill a void for the 
Christmas season for Amazon, be honest with it. They're a mechanism for a short period of time, and then they're going to move on. And that's if it works for them and it works for you, great. Well, okay, so that brings, on a, that brings a really good point is, and I think you do a really good job of this, and I've learned a lot from you when it comes to this, is, is transparency, mm-hmm. right? And people want to grow. You know, Boomer, you and I talk about this all the time, and John, you and I have talked about it before. People want to grow, and sometimes it's difficult to tell people the tough things. Like it's, 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 it pulls on your heartstrings. You have anxiety about it. You don't know how the other person's going to react. But a lot of the times people want to hear ways that they can improve. And generally that's constructive criticism and feedback to them. Can you just talk a little bit about how you approach that? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's difficult when you're thinking of yourself, when you're thinking of yourself, you get anxiety, you struggle with it. But when you're thinking about the other person and you have information that's going to help them perform better, become better, uh, help the business more, and you don't share it, then you're being selfish. And this is a real-life example in this building, coaching a young team member here. There's a, a really powerful question that we all can ask ourselves on a daily basis is, are the habits and decisions I'm making today a vote for the kind of professional I want to become. And if that answer is not what you want, but you want different results, well, guess what? Somebody better tell it to you or else you're going to keep getting the results that you're getting. And this young man, to his credit, said, hey, I want to get better. I want to get better. I want to get better. Uh, Do you have any books? And you said, yeah, I got some books. Here's some books. Download these two. But then two weeks later, when you say, how were the books? And they haven't read them. Well, why are we expecting different results then? Now, as a leader, it's not easy because you're not perfect either, and I'm not perfect. And we need people around us like coaches or someone that's going to speak truth into our life as well. I know you've had moments in your career where you're like, it hurts when you hear some of this stuff that you've never heard before or that you're uncertain about because we all, to some degree, are trying to stay safe. That's what our amygdala does. So I think one of the primary jobs as a leader is to find out what your people want to achieve. And then where, when they're not living in alignment with that ultimate goal or that ultimate achievement that they want to have, you've got to tell them. Because we, we blind ourselves. Uh, I think we're all guilty of that. I love that, how if you have information, it's selfish to hold on to it, right? It's really, you're being a powerful leader and a powerful teammate when you can share that, have those crucial conversations. Because if you don't, then who do you have to blame six months down the, lo- the line, right? Well, I can, I can remember sitting with John. Like, we had some really difficult conversations. You can always respect the truth, though. You can't respect not knowing or guessing because what we do is we fill our mind with information. When there's a lack of transparency or there's a lack of communication, we, we fill that gap, that space in our brain um, with something that probably is not true. Well, and you get consumed by your own thoughts. That's right. It's right? Like, <laughs> so, like, just like a, so my example is you're sitting there and you have your phone, right? And you texted somebody and then the three dots come up and you're waiting and you're waiting. <laughs> What's the story you tell yourself? And then it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I missed, you know, your text or whatever. It was so little. Or but- when you see the three dots and the three dots go away and then no text comes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the story we tell each other. It's true. It's, and, and we do it. We, 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 our brains need it. So to, to, the, to John's point here with people and growth, 
Growth is not a goal. It can never be a goal. Growth happens because of action, which is why when you talk to people about, well, I want to grow. Well, great. Well, what actions are we taking to grow? Have we read the two books? Have we taken notes? What did you learn from it? It, Are the habits and the behaviors on par with the kind of professional you want to become? And so it's great people want to grow. I want my marriage to get better. Well, it's not going to get better unless we act differently. How do you feel about accountability in the workplace, like pairing people up or, you know, that are in the same department? Like, is that something that you deploy or is that something that you- I don't love it. And here's why. People tend to focus on the things that they're measured and paid based on. So if we think peer-to-peer mentorship is important at this organization or any organization that's listening, it's not that it's bad, but your people are always going to default to doing the work around how they're measured in their performance review or how they're measured when they're sitting with their uh, boss about their KPIs or whatever the tracking we're tracking as a business. So by default, those types of things are going to fall where on their priority list? To the bottom. To the bottom. It doesn't mean that we don't want to help people or support or provide mentorship or coaching to them, but we run across this a lot where people are like, well, yeah, we want to create this mentorship program internally. It can work if the speed of that organization is we're results-driven and that's what we're prioritizing and that's what a performance review is about, about. We shouldn't expect our people to then go out of their way to mentor other colleagues. I'd like to comment on that yeah. for a minute. I, I agree with you. And I also think a different perspective on that is, like I believe in the company that we're running today, mm-hmm. that everyone has a job that's uniquely fit for them. And everyone does their job uniquely well. Okay. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, one, a woman in accounting may do the same job or may backfill another woman in accounting does, but they do it differently. Mm. And when you have peer-to-peer mentorship or call or accountability, whatever you want to call it there, that's not necessarily the way somebody does it isn't necessarily the, the way the other person's brain works to do it that efficiently. They may have another view on it. Just like the way I whip around an Excel spreadsheet is different than the way my CFO whips around a spreadsheet. They're both okay. We just have different ways of doing the same job, which I believe, you know, if, if you look at it differently, it's not necessarily peer-to-peer mentorship, but redundancy, right? Like in any computer system, you have a backup server, you have a backup hard drive, you have a backup in the cloud, right? Same with processes internally. You have to have a backup person to do it, those functions when that person's out. So training for that is different than peer-to-peer mentorship because people's brains work differently. You don't need the same person having the same brain doing the same job. You don't need two of them. You need one. And that's where I think, you know, having everybody and meeting people where they are to excel in the spots where they're placed inside the company is very, very important. Again, I don't disagree with anything you just said. Multiple layers of accountability. I think we maybe should define these two terms as well because, you know, mentorship and sharing responsibilities or jobs and someone's traveling or out, of course. It's the accountability of meeting the standard. I'm going to give a really tangible example here. A standard by definition. Coach K did this so well. He says, if you want to if you want to have people that follow the rules, just create rules and they'll follow them as long as they feel they need to, but they're never really going to be bought into them and never going to be theirs. 
But when you have standards as an organization, now people feel like they can buy into it. They can become a part of it. They help set what it is. And and I think that's where we really need to maybe devise this conversation. Because if you're a, an owner of a business, what you really want to do is you don't want to have a bunch of rules for people to follow. You want to have standards of excellence that that are meant. You know, when you think of Next Level Hustle, the title of this podcast, and how that core value came to be, there's some standard of excellence to what next level hustle is at this organization. And when people buy into that and they make it feel like it's their own, now they choose it. When you have to choose four people, it is a recipe for a micromanaging culture. It is a recipe to slow and people to leave and unengaged employees when they feel like, well, I just got someone over my shoulder all the time looking for what I do wrong. That is what rule-based cultures do. Standard-based cultures are much different. And uh, we have a standard in my house that we leave for school by 7 a.m. Okay, that beats the traffic. It's the quickest drop-off and we're in and out. Well, now my kids get in the car and what do they say? Hey, we beat the standard today, Dad. Like we did it. We, not John did it or John Ellis did it or Lucy did it. Like we did it collectively. And then when we're late, Somebody takes ownership. Hey, I made us late today. I was late or what? Now we have this like, it's a shared belief that we are, we're, we're kind of people that lead by seven or before. And I love that around creating a culture of excellence in any organization is you want it to be shared because if John's the only person or Boomer's the only person or John Eads is the only person, we're not going to go very far. And I love that asking for those standards, for that buy-in, for that ownership, like you're as an employee employee as a child or a kid, you know, it's like that ownership of, of something that you don't own, right? You're part of a team, but you have buy-in and ownership. And that's, that's all you really want. You you want people to feel part of something that you're building and, and something that's growing. So you grow as an individual, you grow as a, as a company. Well, to John's point, like there's not only one way to do it. You know, you can move in Excel differently. You can write copy on marketing different. You, there's not one perfect way, but if the standard is at this level, well, we got to meet it. We got to find a way to meet or exceed it. We're not going below it. And I think that's where, you know, a team member can look at a final piece of work and you could say, you know what? That wasn't my best. I got more in me than that. And that's what you ultimately want as a leader is for people to say, hey, I, this is not good enough for me. I can keep, I can do this better. Can I get another shot at it? Or I'm going to do it different the next time. So that's what you're ultimately after, I think, as a leader of an organization. So how would you describe what you do, your title, your... Um... I help uh, managers and executives to lead their best. And I say best because everybody's best is different. Uh, there's not only one way to lead. There's, there's lots of different ways to lead. And everybody's on a different part in their leadership journey. And I coaching and having other people to provide the tools, the techniques, or the strategies, or the encouragement, whatever is required in that particular day, is important because we all are only going to go to the point in which it gets uncomfortable, and then we're going to stop. And some of our audience might be entrepreneurs, but then again, some might be coaches, some might be in the sales, you know, sales. Performance space, yeah. Performance space. So when no one's watching John Eads' yeah. work, yeah. How do you take your uh, profession to the next level? Like, what are you doing when, you know, you're not with a client? Uh, what are you doing to up your game? Well, John Eads is on a, a interesting journey right this moment because I have always been a very intense person. Just 
it's just wired that way. And what I've come to realize in the last few months particularly is that intensity, while a real business benefit at times, can also drive people away. Intensity and consistency are very different things. And we often think, well, if we're just more intense, if we're just more intense, we're just, at least that's the way I think, maybe just speaking in my own brain here. But if I'm just more intense, it'll happen. But then what, en- what ends up happening is you're so intense, and it might end up happening, but you got a lot of people around you that are like, I, I can't keep up that level of intensity. Like only John, like I, he's like a maniac. And I know I've done that to people. And so my current journey right now is how do I stay true to myself and be intense, but also understand this is about consistency of doing it the right way every single day. And you're going to look back on things years later and realize, oh my gosh, look what we built. Oh my gosh, look at the kind of impact we had on people. Oh my, like, not that it's like, yeah, I want to achieve it right now. Don't get me wrong. I'm an intense person, but JW knows this so well. It's like when you look back and you're like, oh my God, we just had a Christmas party with 45 people. And two years ago, it was, didn't even exist. Or look how many lives, look how many families we're supporting right now. Like it just doesn't, when you start something that's, that's not on your mind, right? No. It's how do we make it? How do we make it a money? How do we sell X? How do we sell Y? And uh, this idea, if, if leaders can start looking at, hey, how can I be more consistent? on a daily basis with my people. So they know what they're getting when I show up and they know they're going to get good coaching and they know they're going to get someone that has a tough conversation or they know that they're going to be, this guy is showing up consistent, not one day at 150 and the next day at 10. People need consistency. And when you model consistency, what do you get back? Consistency. So that's what John needs journey on right now, consistency. Uh, and not intensity, because uh, I, have a, I have a tendency to drive people away with it. That's what I'm on right now. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like Sorry intensity to, sh- intensity to in, intentionality. It's like <laughs> there you inconsistency. Go. There that's, you go. That's, well, that's the same thing we were talking about with that example earlier. You're asking for consistency from your employees. You know, how did you show up? Did you read the books? Just what's the pattern? So I look forward to hearing about your journey on of, the next podcast. So, yeah. yeah but I, I think to the people that are listening out there right now, it's like, There's nothing wrong. Like there are, if you're an entrepreneur, it is going to be so many hurdles. You have no idea. Like if you knew all the hurdles, you wouldn't even start because it's so hard. So let me give an example. When we first started this company, this was probably in February of 2021. Yep. John and I were sitting in a little running office over in Ballantyne here in Charlotte. And you know, John was whiteboarding out a model and he sees like a bunch of holes and hurdles and he looks at me, he says, do you not see this? Do you not see all this risk? <laughs> do you remember this? Yeah, I remember it to like it was yesterday. And I was like, yeah. He goes, doesn't that bother you? I'm like, I just got a gut feeling. We just got to go. We just got to go. And it was, it was very pivotal because, you know, I, I have a tendency as a leader to put blinders on the risk and I still do it. It's, oh, in some ways, you kind of have to. You, you have to you because, have to. because, like you said, if you knew the hurdles, I mean, what you also don't know are the opportunities. That's exactly right. Right. And if you we set if we went back in time and sat in that room, and where this business is today, we wouldn't we wouldn't be sitting here. That's exactly right. You get we we'd, we'd given up before we started. Yep. And that that's where I think this 
this idea of having vision as a leader is actually so critical. Napoleon said a leader's job is to define reality and to deliver hope. So if John, part of his job here, not only to make get deals done and make money and you know put the right infrastructure and hire the right people at the right time, those things are really critical. But what people need is hope. And if you don't give someone, look in their eyes and say, no, this is the right move. Like there's risk, but there's great opportunity on their side. And I see this great opportunity. And it's hard to see it right now, not just for you, but for me too. But I'm choosing to cross this bridge anyways. And I need you to go with me. And I need you to give me your very best. Well, guess what? Now I'm like, shit, I can, I want to go there with them. Like I can help them get over that bridge, even when we run across hurdles. So that is why hope in having a vision that doesn't exist today is so important. Here's the most challenging part for most entrepreneurs. Your eyes are the enemy of a great vision because your eyes are only going to tell you what it can see. Well, that's not going to deliver hope. I can see the picture on the wall. Like we're, we're talking about going someplace no one's seen yet. No one's been yet. No, nobody in this business has even been in the oil bit. Like we couldn't, we, what was required at the time was a vision to have a leader to have a vision and a, that something bigger and better was beyond in the future. And I need you to help me go on it. So that's where like, no matter what kind of business someone is in, if you don't have a vision greater than what your eyes can see, you're not an vis- enough visionary of a leader. And that's a question I had for you. I work for a couple, with a couple of CEOs and they get too wrapped up in the day to day and don't give themselves enough to imagine where the company's going to go or the vision. It's a smaller company, right? They feel like they need to be involved and they don't separate themselves. What, how would you help those clients kind of separate themselves to be visionaries, to dream where the company should well, go? Well, it's really difficult. Let's start there. When you, when there's only so many people to do the work and someone, you know, John's got a superpower. Let's just example. John has a superpower. I tell my kid with ADD, you got a superpower. It's not a, it's not a problem. It's a superpower. John's got a superpower. He can put together deals that it, other people's eye, like they just don't see it. They don't, they don't feel that. So to take that superpower away from him just to go be a visionary leader would be a mistake for the short-term business too. So that's where this is really challenging for early stage entrepreneurs because someone's got to execute. Someone's got to do the work. And I think that balance of finding where that place is, where most leaders make the mistake, is once you get over 10, 25, 50, and then the break point is 100 people, well, if you're in the day-to-day in the weeds still getting uh, deals done, John has not made a leap as, an entre- as a leader. At some point, he's got to make a leap. Now, the business might not be there yet. Every business is different. But every leader at some point has got to make that leap to say, I'm not going to be in the weeds and micromanage or need to approve everything. The, the company can't grow fast enough if one person's involved in every decision. It's really hard when it's your baby, though. So I'm going to ask you an interesting question. And I'm actually going to ask the question. I'm going to give my opinion. Okay, and it. then I'd like you to— We can argue about it. We can argue about it, or, 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 you can, or you can give a, an example. And Boomer, I'd like you to chime in on this, too, because I think it's— it's very real to me a lot of the time. And the question is, what is the hardest part about being an executive leader? 
And to me, the hardest part, and it kind of ties in everything we've talked about today, the hardest part for me as an executive leader is to have a bad day. If I have a bad day, it impacts every single person around you and you almost have to hide it, right? You know, I had a bad day. You know, I look, I do have bad days. I'm generally a pretty optimistic person, but we have bad days. I had a bad day and a lot of the people in the office are friends with my wife and we know each other and, you know, we're friends outside of the office and it's like, man, John had a bad day today and everybody could tell. It's like, you're impacting that many people and you don't even realize it. Right. So one of the hardest things is to have a bad day. And it's very real. It's very simple, but it's it's very real. And, you know, I just love your opinion, both of you, Boomer and John, on you know, how how do you handle how do you handle that? Like what do you do? You just go hide in a hole and wait till tomorrow? Or do you attack it head on and talk to your team about why you're having a bad day? Well, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. So as a as a cameraman, like one thing that you know, you don't have control over is electronics. And we've all experienced that through Zoom. But when, you, when you're dealing with maybe a piece of equipment that doesn't work for you and you're in the middle of like a very important interview and that can create a bad day and it's how you handle it, right? It's, it's what you show and how, what you keep inside and what you share. And you almost have to create some kind of boundary within yourself. Like how much am I going to share with my team to show them I am really inside. I'm kind of dying inside, but at the same time, I need them to move forward. We have to push this project forward. So for me, I kind of create this witness within myself just saying, okay, let's internally deal with this, but I still have to put a face forward with my team. Hey, this is the situation, but I'm not going to let them feel what I'm feeling in that professional setting anyway. Yeah, sure. Vulnerability creates connection. So uh, you being vulnerable and transparent with your team uh, and your people, not necessarily that they need to solve it for you, but to, to say, hey, look, I'm having a bad day. We're, we're off, you know, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, or, you know, my son's going through Y, or I'm going through this with my marriage today. And some of the most powerful moments I've had with you are when you've been vulnerable and you've been honest and then what it does in return is it allows your team to do the same, the other direction. Uh, when I was going through some difficult stuff in my personal life, like it, it, had he not been vulnerable before, I don't know, I could have been the same way. And so I, I would just, you're not going to be perfect as an executive leader. It, no one is. One guy was perfect and you're not it. Okay. And neither am I and neither are you, Boomer. So to hide that to me is a mistake. Is there a line? Of course, if it's something that's going to, you know, cause someone to start looking for a job because they're concerned about their paycheck or something, maybe you make choices as an executive, but I think always opting on the side of transparency is the best because remember what we talked about earlier, people can handle the truth. They can't when they don't know. They could assume, well, John's mad at me. He's having a bad day because I screwed up on this email. It might have nothing to do with the email. It might have everything to do with his wife at home or, you know, a business deal that's way outside of, of, of them. So that's where I think, not last thing, this is my last, <laughs> you put people around you for a reason. Like, guess what? When someone's down, what can the other people do? Pick you up, like step up to make a big move that might help the business when it's struggling 
But if you don't tell them, hey, we just lost this deal and it was worth a lot of money, guess what they can't do? They can't look for opportunities to help backfill that revenue. So I, I just don't see the benefit of hiding it unless there's some personal reason that you're just uncomfortable sharing it. Uh, That's good feedback from both of you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and particularly for executive leaders, because if they feel like you're not, like you're inhuman, well, guess what? They're, they're going to be scared to make a mistake. Right. And people that are scared to make a mistake never perform at their best. It just doesn't happen because they're, they're too scared to perform at their optimal potential. Well, I mean, the only way you really learn is to mess up. <laughs> failure, failure, failure is the <laughs> final true. failure is feedback. Yeah, exactly. But I think you create a culture for that in an organization. Well, yeah, and and to break out, you know, you said something earlier, and we didn't really unpack it. I know we're running out of time here, but real quick is being uncomfortable. I think, like me personally, I live in a perpetual state of being uncomfortable, <laughs> but I'm also very comfortable in the uncomfortable which is very inverted from how most humans think inside their own brains. But it gets me fired up. It gets me energized. It, like I, I thrive under pressure, right? Where most people do not. That's why I've won two member guest golf tournaments. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my brothers are listening to that because they have not. Yeah. Um, no, but seriously, I, I, I enjoy pressure and I'm very uh, comfortable in the uncomfortable. And I, you know, I said it in my my weekly email to my team this week. I'm like, guys, we have to be, if anyone's too comfortable, we're, I'm making a mistake as a leader. Like we have to, don't get too comfortable. You have to maintain uncomfortableness at some level, right? People have to have comfortability in their jobs probably 85 to 90% of the time, but there's got to be a little sliver of uncomfortableness in there to make sure that we keep the ball moving forward. I would even add to that. I think what they need is safety, safety, in psychological safety is the term that Google researched. What they need is psychological safety to perform at their best and to know that they can fail and that it's okay that they try new things and that they can say certain things to you or you can say certain things to them. They need psychological safety. They don't necessarily need comfort. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with a little pressure uh, and a little discomfort. However, just know that it took you a long time to get comfortable with that. Like it, it, it's come through consistent daily repetition of being uncomfortable as an entrepreneur for a decade or whatever it's Correct. been. Not everybody's at the same point in the race that you are or in their journey as you. It's like, you know, if I, if I uh, measured myself against Tom Clancy as an author, I would never write because he's so far further down the road than I am. And I would be like, I'm never going to be as good as Tom Clancy. Why would I even write? But we're, we're each on our own journey. So as long as you send that email as you did. And then you follow that up with, Hey, wherever you are in your uncomfortable journey right now, let's get a little bit better than you were yesterday. Because if, if we start comparing ourselves against John, everybody against John's uh, level of discomfort, well, guess what? We might never reach that level. Yeah. I have to go back to my, my guy, Theodore Roosevelt, who says, you know, uh, comparison is a thief of joy, mm -hmm. right? We can't live in other people's worlds. We have to live in our own. And if we can pull ourselves into being uncomfortable in this very comfortable world we live in, little by little, um, then we can become comfortable in the uncomfortable and just keep pushing each other into that unknown zone. Well, let's, let's, let's one more thing here. Comparison is the thief of joy. C.S. Lewis also attributed that. However, all comparison is not bad. Okay. If I'm comparing myself only against you or John or Olivia or somebody else, 
just like I was to Tom Clancy. Well, yeah, that's, that's unhealthy comparison. However, if I'm comparing myself against to my version yesterday mm-hmm. as a dad, a husband, a father, a leader, a salesperson, you name it, well, that, that's okay to compare myself to that because what I ultimately want to do is keep getting better every single day. But when I start comparing myself to other people and where they are on their journey, that's when it gets unhealthy. And I'll never forget this. We're going, this is recent, but I, it stood out to me because I'm re- really coaching this young man as hard as I've ever coached him. I mean, I've got every model on the board. I am pouring into him like all out. And I wrote the word comparison on the board. And at the end, he goes, that's the only thing I'm going to remember that I'm comparing myself against other people again, that versus myself. It stood out to me. It's like everything hits people at a different point with where they are on their journey, but that's what he needed right there. He's comparing himself to a salesperson that's been selling for 10 years. Well, yeah, he's not going to be as good as them. Like he's just not. So comparison is not all bad. It's not all bad. And I like what you guys are doing here. Keep it up. Hey, thanks for coming on. You're more Until than round two, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun ride. Can't right. wait to... Uh, Get the updates on your journey as well. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. You can catch him on John Eats Podcast. You can, go to the, you can search the John Eats Podcast wherever yeah. you listen to podcasts. It's really good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't put out something bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Next Level Hustle Podcast, where we help you accelerate what you already know to the next level. If you'd like to support the podcast, consider sharing it on social media, subscribing wherever you listen, or leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next week for another Next Level Hustle conversation. I'm John, and I'm out. And I'm Boomer. I'm also out. <laughs>